You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Good morning, Life Church Livonia. It's great to be here today. As you may have noticed, I'm not in my usual spot. Uh, this past week, I've been at Midwinter in Chicago. It's an annual conference put on by our denomination. And now that I'm the lead pastor, it's something that I have to attend and that I get to attend. So I'm coming to you from Chicago today uh, from the Airbnb that we rented. So you may hear some cars, you may hear some dogs, you may hear some other people. Hey, real people, real God, real life. That's okay. We're going to roll with it today. Um, and I just want to say as we begin today, thank you for being here. Whatever condition you find yourself in this morning, I believe God has brought you here on purpose today and me here on purpose today because he wants to speak to us by his Holy Spirit, through his word, through our worship, through prayer, and through his body, the church. So you're here on purpose today for a purpose. Uh, if you've been following us, <clears throat> this is week three of our series, actually week four of our series, uh, in Nehemiah, a series we call The Second Act. And uh, if you missed the first three weeks, I'm not going to recap them here today. Just go and take a look at them um, on our YouTube page where you can go back and see everything that we've done or on our podcast. Uh, those are both great ways to catch up with us. Uh, we talked about in, in week one, an interruptible life. Week two, we talked about prayer. Week three, we talked about facing the ruins. And today, we are talking about facing the opposition. Now, I, I want to begin our time today uh, with a little story I heard this week about a boy named Timmy. You see, Timmy was, you know, maybe 10 years old, riding his bike in his neighborhood, and he rode his bike by a tree, and he noticed this butterfly coming out of its cocoon. It was struggling, and there was a small slit in the cocoon. And Timmy was just affixed on this butterfly, watching this transformation take place. He had always heard about it in school, but he had never seen it before. And so Timmy found him stop, himself stopped on his bike watching this butterfly. And he watched the butterfly wiggle and struggle and wiggle and struggle. And Timmy sat there on his bike for what felt like hours. All of a sudden, it seemed to Timmy that the butterfly wasn't struggling nearly as much as it was before. Its movements were softer, with less force. And Timmy wondered what was happening. And then it hit him. The butterfly's exhausted. Could it be so exhausted that at the final leg of its transformation process, that it might die? The thought of that brought a little tear to Timmy's eye. He could not stand the thought of watching this beautiful butterfly die at the moment of its final transformation. So Timmy, in all his compassion, took a penknife and he just cut the slit on the cocoon a little bit bigger so that the butterfly could escape. The butterfly immediately escaped the cocoon, but it did not fly. It fell to the ground. Its body was weak and feeble and its wings were barely moving. Timmy was surprised it didn't fly. Why wouldn't it fly away? It was free. But he continued to watch the butterfly, thinking that any second it would fly away. But it never happened. You see, what Timmy didn't know is that for the rest of its life, this butterfly would have to drag its wings behind it 
and crawl just like it was a caterpillar. It was unable to fly because Timmy didn't realize that the way a butterfly moves the fluid into its body that gives life to its wings out of the body and into the wings is through the struggle of exiting the cocoon. The opposition of the cocoon is a necessary struggle that allows the butterfly to complete its transformation and truly be free. So though this butterfly looked like it had transformed on the outside, it lived the rest of its life like a caterpillar. So sad, right? <laughs> Freaking Timmy. I mean, why do you have to go and do something like that? The parents, the story takeaway today, teach your kids not to mess with butterflies, all right? They need to get out of the cocoon on their own. But <laughs> Timmy's story reveals something powerful. It reveals something important. It reveals something that scripture shows us about the nature of opposition. Opposition is painful, let's be real. And it, make, and it, it makes us struggle deeply. But unless a caterpillar even is able to face the opposition of its cocoon, it never becomes what it was meant to be. The opposition is the necessary prerequisite to the caterpillar's transformation. And to avoid the pain of that opposition is to avoid the transformation. Likewise, when you and I say yes to God and we step out in faith, the faith of obedience, and faith of relationship with him. When we say yes to God, we also say yes to the forces of darkness that oppose God. We say yes to God's enemies. And the only way to avoid the opposition and attack from the enemies of God when following Jesus is to choose to stay a caterpillar, to choose to stay immature and inactive. Because when we say yes to God, we say yes to opposition. And what I want you to know today is, is really simple. I want you to know that opposition and sabotage are normal parts of following Jesus. And they must be overcome to reach a better future. I want to say that again. Opposition and sabotage are normal parts of following Jesus. And they must be overcome to reach a better future. So when you say yes to working on your marriage, you will be opposed and attacked by the forces of darkness. When you say yes to tithing and beginning to trust God with your resources, you're going to be attacked, and I would expect a financial issue. When you say yes to talking to that coworker about Jesus, who's been on your frank list for months, who you've been praying for, you're going to get attacked and opposed. When you say yes to loving your difficult neighbor, when you say yes to treating your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit instead of just hating it, when you say yes to God's plan for your sexuality and purity, when you say yes to overcoming an addiction that has held you captive, when you say yes to dealing with your emotional brokenness and junk, when you say yes to facing your family history and the wounds from it, when you say yes to anything, that is right and good and healing and holy, when you say yes to all that is of God, opposition is the inevitable reaction of the enemy. We don't get to choose whether or not we will be attacked, but we do get to choose how we will react. And so today, as we dive into Nehemiah, I want you to ask yourself the question, 
How do I react when I am attacked? How do I react when I am attacked? So we're going to be looking at four ways that Nehemiah uh, is attacked and then the four ways that Nehemiah reacts. And we want to look at what that means for us today. So we're going to jump in. There's a lot of scripture here today, so I'm going to move kind of fast, but don't worry. Uh, we're going to get out of it a little bit deeper and tell me more coming up this week. So let's begin with our scriptures. <clears throat> when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angrily, angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. So, if you, if you haven't been following us in this series, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of the world at the time, King Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Nehemiah has it placed on his heart by God to head back to his country of origin, to Israel, and help them rebuild this broken down wall that is meant to keep their city safe. Nehemiah says yes to this, and he heads back to Jerusalem. The work begins, and now the opposition comes. And the scripture we just read is the very first opposition to Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. So when Nehemiah says yes to leaving his job temporarily in, in, uh, as the cupbearer, when he says yes to return home, uh, when he says yes, he's prayed, he's prepped, first attack comes. And it comes in two forms. It comes in the forms of both insults and discouragements. This is one of the number one ways, one of the very first ways we get attacked and opposed when we say yes to Jesus. See, discouragement is just the opposite of encouragement, right? Encouragement literally means to give courage to someone. Discouragement literally is an attempt to take someone's courage away. And as I read what they say, I'm basically picking up on three major criticisms and, and critical questions that Sambalat and Tobiah are, are asking and are, are teasing and throwing at the Israelites. They're saying, in my reading of this text, who do you think you are? You think you're going to rebuild the wall that's laid unbuilt for 70 years? Oh, yeah? Who do you think you are? Number two, they're saying, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? It hasn't been done yet. You think you're all of a sudden going to do it now, Mr. Big Shot? And then number three, you don't have what it takes. I love that the bit at the end where Tobiah likens the, the structural integrity of the wall. He says, man, a fox could climb on that and break that sucker down. Just so you know, foxes are like the size of small dogs, if you've never seen one in real life. They're, they're probably like 35 pounds max, right? So he's like, listen, that thing, a small child could knock that over. And I hear in that, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. These criticisms are not just attacking the work the Israelites are doing. They're attacking both the character and capability of Nehemiah and the whole Jewish people. How many of you, how many of us, when we begin to do the right thing, when we say yes to following Jesus, hear these questions. 
How many of us, when we finally say yes to working on our marriage, go, who do you think you are? You don't have what it takes. What do you even think you're doing here? When we say yes to facing our addictions, when we say yes to God's way over our way, when we say yes to trusting God with our money, how many of you hear those questions ringing in your own soul? This is a classic attack of the enemy. And it is often the very first attack in his attempts to derail you from what God is doing in you and wants to do through you. So that's, how, that's the attack. How does Nehemiah react? And, and I love this. This is what he says. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached about half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Here's what I find amazing about this. They give these biting, critical questions. Who do you think you are, Nehemiah? Who do the Jewish people think they're? What are you even doing here? You don't have what it takes. And Nehemiah's response to those attacks is simply to pray. It's simply to pray. And I know he doesn't just, he doesn't just pray for help. He doesn't pray for wisdom. Like, oh, Lord, I got to respond to these guys. Like, tell me to figure out what to do. I don't know what to say to them. I was just really nervous about this. He prays that God would take care of every single one of their insults and bring justice. And then Nehemiah simply continues his work. Their insults don't even seemingly give him a moment of self-doubt. Why would that be? I mean, when, when those questions come up in my heart, I'm full of self-doubt. Why would that be? Is it because of his overwhelming credentials? Is it because of his confidence as a contractor and a builder? I don't think so. You see, Nehemiah didn't just pray when things got hard. He prayed for four whole months before he even asked the king about departing to do this project in Nehemiah chapter one. Nehemiah didn't just pray because this attack. Nehemiah was a person of prayer. And he is not at all derailed by these insults against his character or his capability. Because as he spends time in prayer with God, he knows exactly who he is. And he knows exactly who is capable of rebuilding this wall. And he knows it's not him. He knows that he's part of God's people and that God is capable of anything. That's how Nehemiah reacts to the first attack. Let's move on and see what happens with the second attack. It says, but when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, now we're getting more and more international, right? This is a rising international incident here. Um, heard that the repairs to the walls of Jerusalem had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together. Multiple nations and tribes now plotting a war together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said before they know it, or it seems right to us, we will be right among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. 
Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Okay, so now we've graduated to a new level. It's not simply just insults anymore. We're talking about real, genuine threats of violence. And so we've moved from just insults and discouragement. Now there's real threats. It's not not just words anymore. There's an actual plot for a war. And they're spreading this information around. I mean, do you know how many people came up and told uh, Nehemiah, hey, they're planning to hurt you. Hey, they're coming to kill you. Hey, they're going to attack you. That's on purpose, right? They're cultivating this fear. Because, again, how would the Jews who, have, who live near them even know about this? Obviously, it's because Sambalat and Tobiah, they're not trying to be secretive. They're trying to be intimidating. They're, they're intimidating with threats, with real violence. And um, the intimidation has what I would call the blowback, right? I, I think you just saw it just a second ago. How the people are reacting now that it's not just insults and like, oh, who do you think you are? So and so. But hey, we're coming to kill you now. (laughs) There's this elevation in the severity. And the scripture says, I just find this so incredibly fascinating. The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. This level of intimidation and attack has created doubt and discouragement, has created a blowback in the people where their courage is literally being taken from them and their strength is giving out. The whole community is being discouraged and the people around them are rehearsing the dangers of the threat. The whole community is rehearsing the dangers of the threat. They're rehearsing their fears and anxieties about being killed. This is a way more visceral attack than before. The rubber has met the road. And Nehemiah is praying again. Did you notice that? His immediate first response is to pray again. But that's not his only response. He also doesn't just pray. He elevates his response in relationship to the elevated attack. And I think it's important to notice that because it shows us this incredible spiritual truth. Our relationship with Jesus from yesterday is not sufficient for the work that God is inviting us into for tomorrow. And I just feel that as a word to me. I feel that so deeply in my week in, week out life now as lead pastor. The relationship with Jesus I had as your worship leader and associate is not sufficient for what God is doing today and tomorrow. And that's true for you too. When the work levels up, when the attack levels up, our own life and inner world with Jesus also has to level up. So how does Nehemiah respond to this? Well, he says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Remember exposed places. We're coming back to that. Posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work 
while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the, all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Now, Nehemiah's response here is threefold. Obviously, we see him praying again, right? We noticed that the first time. But he's also preparing. He's not just praying like, oh, Lord, I pray that this, this threat would go away. He prays, he asks God to do something about it, and then he prepares. And this is so interesting to me because he uses simply what he has at his disposal, right? Remember, these are families, that he's giving weapons to. These aren't soldiers. And the people building the wall are not contractors. They're just people. And, and I want to point out, these people um, are children of refugees who had returned home from exile nearly 100 years before. And these people were down and out people. They were broken and downtrodden. They were the poor and weak living in the ruins of their city. Nehemiah didn't hire an army, nor did he stop the building project to do a boot camp so people could learn how to fight properly and whip this team into shape. He simply used what and who he had at his disposal to prepare as best he could, and then he trusted the rest to God. Now, notice that he placed folks at these exposed places, I told you to remember. These are the weakest parts of the wall. This is, these are the parts of the wall that are most structurally unstable or the lowest so that people can get in easier there. These parts weren't structurally sound yet, and they were places the attacks were most likely. So as we prepare in our own lives, I think we have to make an honest assessment as we prepare to face opposition. We have to make an honest assessment of our own exposed places. I know I often make many excuses for my exposed places, the places where I'm most susceptible to attack, which are usually for me uh, some poor stress management habit, like overwork or escaping into the television or video games, or not being concerned about how much I eat because I just don't have time to think about that right now, right? It's, it's these kind of things. You know, we can feel entitlement from our spouse or our kids to take care of us because we haven't taken care of ourselves. And you know, can't they see that? Don't I deserve it? You get the idea. You know, we all have exposed places, low parts of the wall that are most susceptible to attack. And Nehemiah foresaw that and stationed extra guard there. And I think we have to do the same. So Nehemiah prays, he prepares, and then he reminds them of the why. He reminds them of the why. He says to the group, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Now, I, I, I want to pause here because he does two things that are amazing to me. One, he reminds them that God is the one who brought them here and God has the power to see this through. But two, remember who he's talking to. The adults in this group he's talking to were children of the people who rebuilt the temple and were supposed to rebuild the wall after the temple and didn't. That means these adults should have grown up in a home that was safe because they had a wall. And they didn't. These adults were kids 
who should have had a place that was secure to call home because their parents were the ones that were supposed to be rebuilding this wall. But now the rubber meets the road. The attack is real. And they're feeling like they can't do it and want to quit. And Nehemiah reminds them why they're doing this. He is saying to them, listen to me. You know the pain of growing up in a house in ruins. You know the pain of not living in a safe place where you can rest easy at night. And you are rebuilding these walls, not just for you, but for your kids and for your spouses so that they don't have to know what that feels like. I know this is hard. I know the attack is real, but this is worth it. And God is with you. Likewise, when we say yes to moving forward with God, we're not just doing it for us. We're doing it for our kids. We're doing it for our spouses. We're doing it for our families and our homes to create a better future for them than the past that we have had. So Nehemiah prays and he prepares and he reminds them of the why they're doing this in the first place. Now, there is another attack that happens from inside the camp. We don't have time to get into that. We're going to talk about that and tell me more. Tell me more is a discipleship podcast we do here. We dive deeper into the sermons from Sunday morning uh, and get a little more meaty. That comes out on Thursdays at 1230. We're going to be talking about uh, the inside attack. Uh, Tell me more this week. So I'll just save that for that. And the last two attacks, as we look at the last pieces of the puzzle here, are kind of one unit, and the scripture is a big chunk, so I'm going to treat the last two attacks as though they're kind of one because they're the same themes, Um, but Nehemiah doesn't stop building the wall. They pray, they prepare, he reminds them the why, and they continue building, and then this happens. When word came to Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Samballat and Geshem sent this message, come! Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Anno. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, and which was written, It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. And I sent him this reply, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Do you see this right now? So Samuel, they tried to intimidate them, threatened them, lied to them. Now he's he's simply just trying to distract and deceive them. This is the next group of attacks, the third group of attacks. He's literally trying to defame the Israelites and their intentions, writing a narrative about them that isn't true, but could be. 
And the purpose of this deception is simply to distract Nehemiah from the work that God has called him to do. In order to get Nehemiah focused on another work God did not call him to do. And Nehemiah is so amazing here because he remains focused. He remains focused. He does not let it distract him. And honestly, his reply for just like cracks me up. He's like, oh yeah, wow, sounds important. Ooh, really scary stuff. So you may not have heard, I'm building this wall and uh, you know, it's a lot of work and I can't leave, but it's not done. <laughs> it just like totally rushes them to the side. Um, and I think he's able to do this because he's so clear on exactly what his job is and what God's job is. Because how did Nehemiah even get this gig? Did he just go, you know what? I really have this heart for Jerusalem and this wall and God, I'm going to go and I just pray you bless it. No, he didn't. God is the one that invited Nehemiah into this work. Meaning what? Meaning it's God's work, not Nehemiah's work. Which means that God's the project manager. And Nehemiah has one part of a bigger project. And so Nehemiah is so clear because he's like, hmm, God told me to build the wall. He hasn't told me anything about handling Sam Ballot or Tobiah, so I'm going to do what he told me to do. And he knows this is going on, so I'm going to let him do that part of the job because he didn't tell me to do that part of the job. He told me to do this part of the job. And on a personal level, that has been so stabilizing and encouraging to me this week. I mean, I've been here at this midwinter conference all week trying to help us finalize our budget for 2022 as a church, looking into a potential building opportunity, leading our staff team, uh, scheduling the worship, prepping the sermon. And then on Tuesday, Amber and I were waiting on this insurance quote that was a week late and we got denied for some unknown, unexplained reason that really threw a wrench in our plans. Um, and then uh, Amber's been home alone and our furnace went out on Wednesday. And all, all these things keep coming up. And it just has been like, uh, already so much to do. And then these things just keep happening that um, are just so easy to get derailed by for me. And as I was prepping for this sermon, I kept going, okay, Lord, whew, okay, another thing went wrong. Another thing is happening. I'm feeling the opposition. What is my job and what is your job? What have you asked me to do this week? And what is there left to do that you haven't asked me to do? And so I went, okay, my job is to be here at Midwinter, to focus on this sermon, to prep for the weekend, to, to connect with these folks uh, at Midwinter. I, don't ha I can't do anything about the insurance, Lord. You're going to have to do that. And a day later, it was resolved. And likewise, with the furnace, I went, okay, well, I'm not home. I can't do anything about that. This isn't the assignment you've given me this week. That's out of my hands. So I'm going to stay focused on what my work is to do. And Lord, you're going to have to do that part of the job because I can't. Nehemiah remained focused, and that reaction has been so encouraging to me this week. And just real briefly, before we finish our time in Scripture here, I just want, on one other note here as we end, I want to note that Nehemiah is able to ignore the lies and deception because Nehemiah has integrity. And integrity simply is, integrity equals good character plus sacrifice over time. Because Nehemiah is put in the work in his inner world, the lies Sambala is saying have no water. And more importantly, he knows, hey, I know Artaxerxes. If these reports get back to the king, 
I have integrity before Artaxerxes, and he's going to know this isn't true. So I just say, as a side note, integrity is worth the sacrifice because it allows us to remain focused on our job and God's job for us instead of getting distracted by attacks in exposed places. And lastly, I, I just am so impressed. Nehemiah doesn't just begin with prayer, he ends with prayer. And I love the prayer he ends on because he doesn't pray for less opposition, but instead he prays for stronger hands. And as you and I face opposition from the forces of darkness this week, that's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that God would strengthen your hands for the work that he has for you. That you would remain focused because God is with you. And you are not just rebuilding the walls of your life, of your family, the walls of this city, of our culture, just for you. You're doing it for your families, for your kids, your spouses, your children. Because as God is on his mission to rebuild and heal this world, making it whole and purely good again, he has asked for your help and my help. And he's given us a job to do in that. The people in this book were rebuilding the walls to prepare unknowingly for the coming of Jesus. And here we are all these years later, rebuilding walls, not a brick and mortar for the city of God in Jerusalem, but rebuilding the walls of, with living stones, with human hearts, building God's people, the city of Zion. And we, too, are rebuilding our walls so that Jesus might come again. So as we close today, I'm just feeling like there's three groups of people here this morning. Group one are those of us who have been invited to say yes to God and to God's next step, but we're hesitant we know that God is calling us deeper, but we're scared. Scared of the confusion. Scared to step out in faith. Scared to trust. Maybe scared of the cost. And if you find yourself in group one today, I want to remind you, the opposition comes whether or not you're following Jesus. But nothing is more worth fighting for than for joining God and healing this world. And if you say no, you're not just saying no to you. You're saying no to your family, for your kids, into our church. And we're going to miss what God has to do through you. And so I pray for you and I pray for courage that you would step out in faith, that God would strengthen your hands to face the opposition. And if you're in group one, I just want to invite you in a couple moments here to fill out our digital connection card and ask for prayer, that we can pray with you because you are fighting, you're just not fighting alone. That's group one. Group two are those of us who have said yes to God's work. We're fighting. We're doing the work. We're fighting in our marriages for good marriages. We're fighting to nurture our own faith. We're fighting to take that next step of obedience. We're fighting to build godly habits. We're fighting to beat addiction. We're fighting to build a more good and just world. We're fighting for healing. We're fighting to follow Jesus. And these things are worth fighting for. But we're tired. And there are days when we lose the strength to do the work. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to begin with prayer by in a few moments filling out our digital connection card so we can be praying with and for you. In group three, group three are those of us who have said, who have not yet said yes to relationship with Jesus at all. Maybe we had some faith and we've fallen away. Maybe there's um, something holding us back. 
But if you're in group three and you have yet to say yes to relationship with Jesus, I just want you to know there is more to life than simply existing and trying to be happy. There's joy and purpose and hope and life to the full in Jesus. And there is more. And Jesus is holding his hand out to you today for that more. And I want to begin with prayer for you in a few moments. And so as we close today, where do you need to say yes to Jesus and face the opposition? Do you need to begin with prayer? Do you need to prepare with what you have? Do you need to remind yourself of why you're doing this? Do you need to remain focused on your job and let God do his? Do you need to work toward greater integrity or pray some more? Remember, opposition and sabotage are normal parts of following Jesus, and they must be overcome to reach a better future. All of us will have to fight, but you're not fighting alone. So let me fight with you right now by praying together. Lord Jesus, I just lift these people up to you. Father, I pray for those of us who are listening right now and have yet to say yes to you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just put the burden on us, Lord, to say yes to you and that we would respond, Lord, that we would feel the fierceness of your love for us and say yes. Lord, I pray for those of us who are tired doing what is right. And I pray for those of us who are scared to take the next step into what you're calling. And Lord, I pray now that you would strengthen our hands and that you, Lord, would find us faithful to do the work that you are calling us to do, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. We say yes to you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed with me, I want you to fill out our digital connection card because we want to walk with you. God bless.